everyone. Welcome to the My Entertainment World podcast. We're back with another installment, and this time I'm talking to my good friend Andrew Patty, who's a complete Star Wars fanatic. So um, just a little background. I have seen the original films, maybe... Force Awakens just a couple days ago. Really enjoyed it as a standalone action film, but don't really know enough about the universe to care about it in a larger sense. Um, Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background with Star Wars? Uh, okay, so um, I guess I'm the youngest of four kids, and my brothers, uh, when I was four years old, sat me down and they made me watch A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, and I, you know, I was indoctrinated at that young age. Uh, I remember I was in preschool. And every time it was playtime, I would run around um, and just pretend I was like an X-Wing fighter or something, uh, like trying to blow up the Death Star. And in fact, everybody kind of knew me for that. Uh, and there was like there was like a whole class sitting around and somebody, the teacher says, can somebody name something that flies? And uh, <laughs> one girl raises her hand and goes, Andrew? And I'm like, damn straight. Good, I'll take it. And ever since then, uh, I've just been kind of, um, you know, indoctrinated. It's kind of followed me through my entire life. Um, but I understand what it is as a work of science fiction. It's not great literature, um, but who cares? It's fun. It's escapism. And uh, that's why I like it, you know? So, yeah, that's me. Well, that's actually one of the interesting things I think about Star Wars is that it clearly was originally – sorry, my dog's making noise – um, it was originally written as escapism. It's it's goofy. It's it's silly sci-fi, you know, light versus dark simplicity. But over the years, because people love it so much, I think people have started to ascribe greater meaning to it and say, "Oh, it's not real. It's 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 actually about you know the the larger philosophy of life and and all these things." And I think that it's that actually does it a disservice. I think ultimately, it's just science fiction adventure movies. They're just big popcorn movies, and to try and make them something bigger means they're going to let you down. What do you think okay. of that? So I would agree with that, but I think what the beautiful thing about the Star Wars universe is, is that it allows uh, people to expand on it. It allows fans to write their own books, which there have been plenty of, uh, make their own video games, and and, um, if they want to explore themes beyond simple light and dark, that's usually where it's done. Uh, The original films, you're absolutely right about that. They're dumb, big-budget blockbusters, and that's why we love them. That's totally okay. Um... You know, but that's not to say there's no depth in the Star Wars universe. There can be, and uh, there has been in the past. But uh, usually, it's not up to movie to the movies to provide that. Well, and when J.J. Abrams was brought on to do The Force Awakens, wasn't there some sort of announcement that said that all of the expanded universe and spin-off novels and Clone Wars TV show and all that kind of stuff was no longer canon? Yes. Okay. And that was a, that was a pretty big deal. And he totally had to do that because um, if he had to if he had to make everything fit into what was canon, um, the the era past Return of the Jedi after the Battle of Endor has been explored so fully and and so much. And you know, there's been so much in the continuing adventures of Luke Skywalker and company that 
if he had to make his movie fit into that, it wouldn't make any sense, okay? There's a few things he could have done. He could have done the Thrawn trilogy or whatever, which is, uh, it's, you know, uh, it's a fan, it's a fan, uh, it's a fan fiction series, uh, but it's one of the more highly regarded ones. I thought when they announced episode seven, maybe they'll do that. I didn't expect them to negate all of that, but I'm really, really glad they did because, uh, it allows directors like J.J. Abrams and all the writing team, the entire writing team to go in and make a totally fresh movie. Now, so are fans sort of seeing the, the, the books and the fan fiction and that whole expanded universe thing versus the new films, are they almost seeing it sort of like a, as a multiverse thing, like in comic books? Or is it really just now the big blockbusters have overwritten these smaller mediums? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know what most of the fans are, are thinking. Uh, I honestly don't really care. Uh, so the, the expanding universe was fine, but a lot of it was trash. In fact, like 80% of it was just really just bad fan fiction. Um, but, uh, there was a few, there was a few gems in there, which, okay, they're, they're declared non-canon, but that doesn't really ruin the stories, you know, take them as what they are as, as, I guess you can see it as an alternate universe, but um, it's not an alternate universe. That's the same way you know J.J. Abrams did for Star Trek, which actually was an alternate universe. You know, there's no there's no storyline explanation for any of this. This is just kind of what happens when big corporations take over franchises. Hmm. Did you find in the new movie that there was any sort of like Disney ramifications, if you will? Um. Yeah, actually, uh, and I, I would like to talk about that um, specifically. Uh, the star killer base happy ending um like they had like they had to make this movie um as they they try to make this movie as close to a new hope as possible and that's really really apparent um in the fact that they have uh this giant super weapon that they need to blow up which i personally thought was too much uh (laughs) or if they're gonna have a giant super weapon i think don't um blow it up in the first movie when you're going to make a trilogy of movies, okay? Also, that's uh, such a sequel move. Just like, you thought it was big before. This one's bigger. Yeah, and you know what, honestly, and, and that's, that's okay, so I mentioned earlier that it's really important to take off the rose-tinted glasses uh, when you're viewing this movie. And, uh, you know, we have to acknowledge that even as early as 1983 in Return of the Jedi, when they say, oh, wait, there's a second Death Star, it's almost like they're running out of ideas. Or they need, like, okay, it, I think... What would have worked is if they rewrote like a New Hope. Okay, maybe this is a little extreme. Like, but if they re if they rewrote a New Hope um, as a trilogy, maybe don't blow up the Death Star right away. You know, maybe save that for the last movie. Uh, and the fact that okay, they introduced this new Star Killer base as this you know planet destroying super weapon. Don't get me wrong; it's pretty cool. It doesn't make any sense, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, you know, the fact that. I, I totally rolled my eyes. I'm like, okay, they're going this plotline again. All right, let's, I'll go with it. And then they blow it up. I can't believe they blew it up because, you know, you that's a great thing to have around for three movies then because that's an actual threat. What is what is the what do the bad guys have? What does the first order have at this point? Well, you know? well, on one hand, okay, so I have, I have a couple comments because I have, I have a my next big question and it's a big one has to do with what you just said but put that on hold for a second I don't know that I agree about this idea of holding on to things and writing things with the sequels in mind because certainly 
Return of the Jedi would be a better movie if when they wrote A New Hope, they knew what was going to happen in Return of the Jedi, at least vaguely. But at the same time, I think New Hope is a better movie because it's just a movie. It has a beginning, middle, and an end, and it was never meant to be anything more than that. And so it's a complete story in a real filmic sense. Yes. Nowadays, with and, and, and this is a lot the Marvel Cinematic Universe's fault, but it's a lot of things' fault in the franchisation of Hollywood. We're now dealing with this idea that no movie is a standalone movie. And you can see that in uh, Force Awakens as they hold back so many mysteries. Uh, we'll come back to this later, but they don't, they specifically hint that there's something interesting about Ray's family and we don't know what it is. There, there's, we barely see Luke. Oh, by the way, gigantic spoiler alert. I forgot to say that. We're oh, gonna you just be, cut out there. We're going to completely be talking about spoilers. Obviously, he already told you they blow up the second Death Star thing. So. Oh, well, but, um, sorry. Can you go back like 10 seconds? Cause you totally just cut out there. Oh no. Okay. Sorry. I was just doing, I was talking about spoilers and how I should have said spoiler alert at the top of the podcast. Sorry guys. Um, anyway, what I, sorry, what I was saying, cause Andrew didn't hear me was, uh, about the franchisation of Hollywood and how I don't, on one hand, it does serve the larger series to be able to write to the ending but I like this idea of self-contained movies that you can pay your 12 bucks or whatever and see something whole. And you can't do that anymore. TV or film is now so much like television that a force awakens is not something in in and of itself. And that kind of annoyed me. Okay. Um, I, I agree with that point, but when you, when you call it episode seven of a three part, <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I guess a nine-part series, but really it's a new trilogy, however you want to say it. Um, I think they definitely should have things that will carry over to other um, to other episodes, to other movies. Uh, for example, um, Captain Phasma. It's not clear if she lives or not in this movie, you know, oh, which would be a real letdown. she's in the next she, one. Excuse me? Apparently she's in, in the next one, Gwendolyn oh. Christie, right? Yes. Yeah. G- good, because she didn't do anything in this one. Um, but... You know, uh, one of the things they should have made explicitly clear was the bad guys survive. This isn't a self-contained movie. There's going to be more stuff that happens, obviously. And if you want standalone films, I mean, Disney's got you covered for that because they're coming out with Rogue One at the end of this year. And that's going to be, as far as I know, a standalone film that takes place between episode three and four. Yeah, that's true. It's probably going to have a a tie-in hint. You know how all the Marvel movies have, like, and then this big purple guy shows up and he's up to something. Ha ha ha. Roll credits. Um, Yeah, that's Thanos. I know. (laughs) Whatever. I know so much about geek culture. (laughs) Big purple guy. Um, So, but speaking to some of the mysteries that they put into this movie with specifically pointing towards the future. Um, I have two big questions. My first is what the hell is Snoke's deal? Was, did I not know who that was entirely because I missed the prequels or is that a new character? And I'm just confused by how vague he is. Okay. So, uh, Snoke, that is a totally new character. Nobody knows, um, where he comes from or, uh, what the deal with him is. Um, so, that, that's actually one of the things this movie failed to explain because this movie was, I guess, supposed to, um, you know, tie up what happened after Return of the Jedi, but instead it's this totally separate plotline. Um, Snoke and really the First Order in its entirety um, 
I guess they kind of rose up out of the ashes of the empire. But my question is, where did they come from? How did they get so powerful? Uh, who were the Knights of Ren? Um, I, like, apparently, like, if you read, like, some of the, you know, uh, fan fiction or whatever, or not fan fiction, or, like, canon uh, stuff that's cropping up, the Knights of Ren are, like, this ancient um, group of Sith Lords or something that, I don't know, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest, but um, Snoke, really nobody knows, they didn't explain, uh, he's he's the new stand-in for Emperor Palpatine, though, and uh, I don't have much of an opinion on him yet, uh, I want to see what he does in, you know, episodes 8 and 9 before... I make a judgment, but I didn't hate him. I just kind of been like, okay, that's the new Palpatine. That's fine. So what so, he is is just a big, vague, big bad. Yes, exactly. He's he's the evil guy who's manipulating the the other evil guy who's going to turn good, and that other evil guy who's going to turn good is probably Kylo Ren. I think. I think he's. Gonna turn I don't good. know, man. I. If, yeah. I mean, okay, so there. But how how up are you on on sort of? Um, not fan fiction, but fan theories. Because uh, one of the fan theories I heard, and I do not buy this at all, is that Kylo Ren has a sort of Snape-ish thing going on. And <laughs> we're currently, you know, the killing of Han, which at the moment seems so... Like, I remember when book five of Harry Potter came out, I, was, I had not finished it yet, and I was talking to a friend of mine who had finished it. And I was explaining to her that I was pretty sure that Snape was an antagonist, but not a real villain. Yeah, book and, six, and, right? Or, yeah, book six. Sorry, five. Okay. Serious. And uh, and she goes, he killed Dumbledore. Like this was like the biggest. You can't come back from that. And that was on purpose. She was. It was a big misdirect. If he does this unthinkable thing, he clearly can't be a good guy. So, do you think that's a possibility for Kylo Ren? That yeah. Okay. No, I, I. So I don't think it's Snape. I don't think. Uh, honestly, I don't think Kylo Ren is smart enough uh, to be a Snape character. Um, be, well, because the whole point of Kylo Ren, and what I really liked about Kylo Ren, is that he's uh, the prequels Anakin Skywalker done right. You know, uh, Anakin was this really whiny, like, emotional character, and uh, everybody hated him as a character because um, his lines weren't executed right, blah, blah, blah. But um, uh, Kylo Ren, I think... Uh, is like a second attempt at that and it actually kind of works because he's like he's like a teenager you know um he's like oh i hate my dad i love my grandpa he's cool and he's got <laughs> he's got this whole thing he's like this angsty sith lord going on and um what i really liked about it is that he's incompetent he doesn't do anything right he lets people escape uh he gets his ass kicked by he's who a I... trained jedi who gets beaten by ray who does not know she's a jedi <laughs> Yeah, but that's, I mean, I actually really liked that uh, lightsaber duel. That's actually one of my favorites because, um, I th well, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, they're cousins. You think she's Luke's daughter? I think it would make sense. And I, I, think, I think she's a Kenobi. Oh, I heard that fan theory. I don't know about that. And so, what, all right, why do you think she's a Kenobi? Just because I think it's too neat to make her Luke's daughter. I think that the first thing everybody thought when we cut away from uh, Han and Leia having the conversation, so who's the girl? Like, I feel like it's so... It's sort of like how... I mean, spoiler alert, Dan is Gossip Girl. When I was watching Gossip Girl, I was so sure that the only obvious answer was that Dan was Gossip Girl, that that was the only person I actually ruled out. Of course, I turned out to be wrong, 
But, like, it just feels like in twist culture, you can't go with, like, the only thing that makes absolute sense. And I think the thing that makes absolute sense is that she's Luke's daughter, right? Yes. And and I think, okay, so I don't think that's going to be the twist. I think that's going to be, all right, so in episode eight or nine or whenever there's going to be another big plot twist, I think it's going to be revealed that she's Luke's daughter. But because everybody already kind of knows that, they're going to be like, yes, she's Luke's daughter. Now let's get on with the plot and let's let real twists start to happen. Um, oh, they like they sort of did with uh, Kylo being Han and Solo, uh, Han, yeah. Han and Solo, Han and Leia's <laughs> daughter. Exactly. So, um, yeah, so, I, I, said, mean, I, meant, I okay. said I said daughter. I, I, I thought about son. what if she's a Kenobi. I read the my uh, friend said something that fan theory, um, and I don't think it would make sense because um, my entire impression of uh, Obi Wan when he was on Tatooine was that he's kind of a hermit and that he probably didn't find a wife or. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, make an entire family. And if so, they should have been mentioned in the originals or something, I, I would have thought. You know? So I thought Obi-Wan died kind of celibate. And, um, you know, to have to introduce this whole family line to him, I don't know. It, like, they're in danger of upsetting more fans with that and ruining the character uh, in, in, a, in a very similar to, like, Han shot first kind of way. Right. Yeah, but, you, you know, people like to, especially in large franchises, they go back and they sort of rewrite history and pretend things were there the whole time that weren't there the whole time. Yeah, all that kind yeah. of thing. Like, if you, if you watch The Avengers and then you go back and you watch the first Thor movie, Loki is not Loki. Like, they have, his, his goals in life are completely different. Yeah. But they needed a villain, and he was popular, and the internet loved him. So they were like, let's use Tom Hiddleston again. And uh, they sort of rewrote who he was and what he wanted. Yeah, but that's bad. They shouldn't be doing that. And if they were to do that with a character as, you know, beloved as Obi-Wan, I guess, uh, for episode 89, by introducing Rey as her granddo- his, uh, his granddaughter, I think that would, um, you know, I think that would cause a little bit of an outrage and um would it make as much sense as luke's daughter or she could just be you know some other family that could be another thing she could just not be a skywalker at all but i mean i think it's pretty obvious that uh like just because it's an obvious plot twist doesn't make it a bad one yeah that's, that, that's fair that's a good point um, there are, but how complicated do you think this is going to be going forward? Because The Force Awakens is ultimately a really simple movie. It's, sure. it's really these very basic beats, classic structure, and, and that's why I, I enjoyed it as a standalone film without knowing really very much about the larger universe. Um, but then going forward, some of the fan theories that have been spun have, you know, oh, her memory was wiped and... There's this and that going on, and there's like time travel and all these crazy things. How complicated do you think this is going to get? Uh, I don't think it's going to get terribly complicated. I don't. I don't know anything about these fan theories about you know memory erasing or uh, oh, really? time travel. Oh, they're but... actually kind of cool. Okay, so okay. so people think because one of my big questions was how does Ray know how to do all this stuff? Like she's sort of automatic. She's just a, a scavenger. Yet she's a great fighter instinctively. Her force skills are way more developed than uh, Luke's okay. were. And he and what was the other thing? Oh, and she she can fly. Like she's this amazing pilot, and she has no reason to be able to fly like that. So uh, people people are saying that 
she was in Luke's Jedi Academy with Kylo. And then something happened, like when she was a kid kid, when we see her losing her family. And then when he went crazy and killed everybody, he spared her. But somehow she lost her memory. Okay. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I guess I guess that would make sense. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like amnesia plot lines are uh, a little bit overdone or, or, or just kind of a, an easy excuse, yes. you know? Um, but I guess that would make sense. But in terms of how... Uh, how Ray's doing all these things, uh, it's, I guess it's kind of the deus ex machina, uh, you know, she's strong uh, in the force because of who she is. Yeah, I mean, she can, you know, she knows how to use a lightsaber well enough to beat Kylo Ren because, one, what I really liked about that scene was all three of the people using this, using lightsabers in that scene didn't know what the hell they were doing. They were all bad Jedi or bad Sith. Um, and, you know, you see them at this, like, really elementary stage and, it sets it up for later movies when they actually become competent badasses. Uh, I I fully expect that uh, like that baton that that uh, that staff that she uses to be translated into a double bladed lightsaber in later in later films. But um, honestly, the reason she can do all this kind of stuff is just because she's force sensitive. And uh, how does she know how to fly the Falcon? Uh, probably because she's familiar with screwing around as a, as a scavenger for her entire life. I mean, how old is she? Like 20? So, yeah, she's probably been doing stuff like that for 10, 15 years. I don't know. Um, but that's something that's kind of left to the audience to assume. Um, and you're right, they don't really go into that much explanation uh, just talking about it, but I don't know. I, I didn't hate that she was uh, competent with the Force already. Interesting. Did you know that the stormtrooper in the scene where she does the these are these are not the droids you're looking for bit is played by Daniel Craig. No way, I did not know that at all. Yeah, really? they were shooting Spectre at the the next stage over and he got bored and went over and he did he filmed a, a cameo as a stormtrooper and it was later revealed that he's the guy That's who so funny. lets her out of the Oh my god. Yeah. The bonds and leaves the door. Are oh, you cutting out again, by the way? Oh, well, oh, well. <laughs> okay, so what are some of your larger thoughts about the film? Okay, um, so my, I, okay, the things I really loved about it, and, um, you know, J.J. Abrams promised this is the Star Wars you know and love, uh, he was kind of right about that because all of the characters that he introduced um, were kind of great, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I have a whole list of you know, every character that shows up and I pretty much liked all of them. The only one I really had a problem with was Han Solo, yeah. uh, actually, uh, which, you know, it might, I don't know. People may disagree with that, but I, uh, um, the chemistry between everyone was pretty spot on. I thought, Wait, um, and I, wanna, I want to know uh, why you had a problem with Han. Okay. So, um, I had a problem with Han because at the end of Return, Return of the Jedi, he, uh, you know, he's kind of like settling down with, Leia, and you kind of get the sense that it's like one of those happy ever after, you know, um, endings, and then they go have kids. Um, I didn't like to see Han Solo doing the stupid Han Solo stuff he did when he was younger, doing the, um, like, running from space pirates and fighting tentacle monsters and stuff. Like all his it's, character growth had been eliminated? Yeah, it's not all the character growth had been 
eliminated. Um, the, I guess the excuse for it is after his son went nuts and, you know, became a Sith Lord, um, Han kind of lost his shit too and kind of reverted back to doing what he did. But I really felt that was an excuse to have more, like, Han Solo antics, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's changed in that now he believes in the Force, but, like, he's still, like, that whole scene, his whole introductory scene where he... Uh, has to like fight off these two groups of pirates that both want to kill him. I was like, really, this is what, this is what we get. Um, so that, that's the one thing I didn't like about him. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, he was, he was pretty tolerable, um, with the exception of, he's pretty great with the exception of, uh, his interactions with Leia, which I really didn't like, which was one of my least favorite parts of the film. They were very awkward. <laughs> oh, they were. I think they, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe that's like an actor thing, but um, it was, it was, <laughs> I, I gotta say, their interactions were pretty chicken shit. Uh, <laughs> sorry to use that word, but um, they were like, okay, um, there are so many better ways that that could have ended, um, or, you know, worse ways, but, you know, more, more sensible, more soap opera ways that that should have ended than. I'm going to hug her and then leave, you know? Um, so actually, can I talk about that for a bit? Just go for it. Okay. So, um, okay. When they finally meet up, they have this whole, you know, scene and then three PO interrupts it. And I thought that was okay. They, they've done that before. That's nostalgia from Empire Strikes Back, but, uh, it's okay because they, they wanted to treat this like, like exes. Like these are two people that haven't seen each other for 10 years. They have a kid together. Who's this terrible person. And, um, when they get back to the base, they're doing exposition, you know, and they're doing, they're doing things like, uh, you know, talking about, it's okay if they talk about their son, but they're at one point they start talking about like the plan to destroy Starkiller base together. I'm like, no, we don't want to hear these two characters talking about that. Uh, it, and what was really like atrocious was, um, Leia said some line like, uh, you know, when was the last time I, I acted like that? And don't say the Death Star. It was just kind of like, oh, you know, wink and nod at the camera moments. Like, oh my God, Han and Leia are back. But really, what they should be talking about is their fractured and fucked up relationship. And <laughs> um, they're not. They're like, they just kind of, they didn't go deep enough into that, I thought. Um, so what I really wanted to happen was Han and Leia, like when they, when they say goodbye, like the last time they see each other, um, Han, you know, does something like Han like tries to kiss her maybe because um, you know he realizes he's, he misses her and like it's a kind of a character moment for, for Han where he's like I realize I miss my ex-wife so much my wife I guess so much and that I love this person like yeah it's painful but this is what I wanted again um, and then you know like they have a really passionate kiss and it's old people and that's fine because <laughs> get over it um, and then what I wanted to happen was she would like freak out and like, no, where the hell have you been for the past decade? You can't just come back, blah, 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 blah. And she like storms off and she's pissed at him. And then he goes and dies. And then she feels that. And then her character has to take that with her for the next two movies or however long she's going to last, you know? So I think that, that would have been a way, way more interesting, uh, you know, character interaction for the two of them where it ended horribly or something versus what we got. That was one of my least favorite parts of the movie. Just then it was awkward. You're right. It was just so, uh, I don't know. I wasn't happy with that. Yeah. I um, it, It's interesting because a lot of this film did feel a lot like fan service. Like it didn't, 
totally fan service. Yeah, they did a great job with the new characters. I'm totally on board. I'm obviously obsessed with Poe. Everyone should be obsessed with Poe and Oscar Isaac in uh, general. All right. But like, hey, okay, Oscar I, Isaac. I like, I like him, but he didn't get enough screen time. That's my one issue with Poe is that he was really great. But oh, yeah. he just kind of shows up later in the film. Like, oh yeah, oh. he serves no purpose, and that well, he ser- I mean, he serves lots of technical purposes, but in terms of a larger character sense, he has no real character. He's just the coolest dude in the world. Yeah, and he also it drives me crazy because like there's a shot of him from Act Three that was used in the trailer, and then they try and convince us he's dead in Act One. I don't think there was a single person in the theater who bought that. Of course. Um, also, you don't kill Oscar Isaac. He's the best actor of his generation. Do not mess with him. But like, anyway. So I loved, I loved Poe, love Finn, love Ray. Like all the great, all the new characters are fantastic. And so, and and I was very impressed that the new characters were fantastic because so often you do get the new characters are kind of just pale imitations of the originals, especially when they are so clearly parallel characters. Well, actually, yeah, that's one of the things I want to talk about, um, specifically where, uh, you know, you often have scenarios where you're imitating characters. Uh, I felt episode seven did a great job introducing new characters that are not explicit imitations. And what I really liked was uh, Finn, because Finn was uh, goofy and plucky, kind of like a young Luke Skywalker, but not really, because he does I think he's Leia. Excuse me? He's Leia. Yeah, exactly. But but he's not, no, because Leia's like... Uh, kind of a, a tough badass character. Yeah, he's, I, not I thought. A, he's not a perfect version, but between him and Ray, they strike all of the Luke and Leia notes. Uh, yeah, and I well, honestly, I hope I hope that like they follow through with that romance plot. You know, unlike the Luke and Leia, like oh, they're sisters, um, or the sister brother. Uh, but honestly, the thing is, my favorite scene from the movie was probably uh. There's three characters. It was on the Falcon. It was uh, Ray, um, Finn, and BB-8. And uh, Finn, like John Boyega, just has such great chemistry with everybody that he's oh. talking to a soccer ball. And yeah. it's like the most like natural interaction you've ever seen. Like the whole like thumbs up and then the little blowtorch thing comes out and it's like, like come on. It, like that he's whole thing uh, flowed so well. And I'm like, this is great. This is what I want to see. In fact, that's why I really love Act One before they started piling on all these. Remember this character? You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Well, because there was so much of that. Like, and now we'll bring in land. Now we're gonna go to a cantina, and now we're gonna do this, and now we're gonna like. That's very just like like you could feel. I saw it really late in the run. There weren't that many. Um, there weren't very many people in my theater. It was like eleven o'clock at night, so we didn't have that sort of crazy fanboy excitement that I'm sure was at all the opening night ones. Yeah, I, there was a lot. I, I, saw, I saw it opening night and I was like, you know, uh, when, when the Falcon shows up. That's what know, I was going to talk about. Like, there were those moments, like, you know the very first moment when Star Wars appears on the screen and you hear the John Williams score for the first yeah. time? I, I'm sitting there picturing, I'm like, oh my god, the fanboys cried, didn't they? They cried. No, they cried. <laughs> you cried. Uh, um, but then, yeah, and then when, like, the Falcon Falcon shows up to me, I'm just like, oh, that's the ship thing. But, oh, you like, cut out again. Hold on. Um, I'm just like, that's the ship. But then every you could tell that people were just like, oh my god, that's the biggest deal in the world. And so there is so much of that in this movie so anytime they were able to craft something new, 
was very exciting for me. And you're right, Act One was where they did that really successfully. Yeah, and honestly, what like I honestly think they need to retire the Falcon. I hope it gets blown up soon uh, <laughs> because um, this movie did rely way too much on nostalgia. Still, I guess it kind of needed to because it had a lot of gap, like a lot of gaps to bridge. Um, but you know, the fact that the Falcon was right there coincidentally and you know, it had to be that ship. Uh, It's fun because people want to see the Millennium Falcon, but they, you know, they need to move beyond that, get a new ship. Well, I liked the idea of when uh, Han was talking about, we're just going to get you a clean ship because they're tracking the Falcon. I was like, that's an easy way to do this. And then they didn't do it. You're right. They didn't do that. I know exactly. And they just kept, exactly. I'm like, why? I don't know. Um, why do you think Matt, speaking of, because that was at the trip to see Matt, why do you think she has the, um, the lightsaber? Yeah. I, okay. I, okay. So that's something, and, and they try to explain it. They, they, uh, I think, they said uh, that's Finn a story asked, for another time. Yeah. I was like, oh, what? That's I don't know what you get because, with the sequel thing. They're writing to the sequels. Yeah, but here's the thing. It was my understanding up until that point that that lightsaber was lost on Bespin. That that lightsaber was lost when Luke uh, gets his hand cut off and it goes down like a sh- like the shaft. Uh, and it's just, uh, I don't know how that was recovered. And I felt that the, the fact that they had to make that Luke's old lightsaber, um, I don't know. I thought that was a bit of a stretch. If anything... Um, Maybe make it Luke's green lightsaber from Return of the Jedi, which he still had, and then he doesn't have any more for some reason. We'll find out. But the fact that they brought back the blue one, which we know Luke lost, uh, it's it's because it's iconography. Like people don't the 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 famous picture in your head. Like I forgot about the green lightsaber, not really having seen that much of the movies. But the blue lightsaber is like so ingrained in pop culture that it's not going to go anywhere in my head. It's still, it belongs to Luke. That's all I knew about it. I didn't know what happened to it, but I knew that's Luke's lightsaber. Uh, Yeah, I know. And most people aren't going to be asking that question, but it's a bit of a plot hole, I think, or even if it's not a plot hole, it's something they do need to explain eventually. Um, but I don't know, you know, uh, I like, I'm curious where they go with it, but they just might not explain it. They just might, might not say, you know, it's it's what you were talking about earlier where, you know, they have to kind of retcon what happened in previous movies a little bit to make it fit this new movie the way the Avengers did. Yeah. But really, to me, the greatest mystery in the whole thing is that in this sort of weird theoretical future, we all have a mishmash of accents because we're half British, half American, just (laughs) because they wanted to cast the film. But... The one exception, everybody's using their own accent except Donald Gleason, who switches from Irish to British. That's fine. Everybody's got their own accent, but Finn had to be an American because that is an, that is a British actor, and he's yes. the only person who changed his accent. I don't know. I, I that's I think it's politics stepping that drove into it. Me I don't crazy. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't. You know. Uh, like, but here's the thing. I don't know why. Maybe they couldn't have two main British actors as, as Finn and Ray. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's bullshit. I don't, I don't agree with it, but I don't know. That's what they had to do, I guess. Okay. So where do you think they're going from here? Okay. Um, I don't know. So, uh, if, if, 
if a new hope, um, or if the Force Awakens was a parallel to a new hope, we can expect to see something that's kind of a tribute to or tributary even of Empire Strikes Back in the next one. Um, I'm working under the assumption that uh, uh, Ray is Luke's daughter, and hoping they introduce some kind of mother character uh, uh, in the next in the next ones, and. You know, there could be some that that will help shed some light on what the hell happened between you know Luke and Kylo Ren and all of that stuff. Um, and what I think would be really interesting is like uh, you know a female villain, like a mother villain. Um, although that's a little bit in danger of you know rehashing the whole plot of you know Anakin versus Luke, then it's Ray versus her mother. I don't know, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes in some place like that. Um, so, and I, I, what I really, what I really just hope they don't do is another uh, super weapon thing, mm. uh, because that's been done three times already, and um, like it was kind of old at the end of Return of the Jedi, and the fact that they did it in this one was pretty egregious, uh, and it, it just, it, it's what took away from all the originality I thought that they could have had. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone was ever expecting an original movie, which is so ironic when you think about it, because the whole point, when Star Wars first came out, it was, it, it wasn't totally original. It was obviously no, based on it was a tribute material. to Westerns. Yeah, well, and, and there was, it's not like it invented sci-fi. No. But at the time, in context, it felt really original, even though it was using sort of the building blocks of other genres and pre-existing things. But now it's so funny because there are so many specific, there's such a strong iconography. There's so, it's like a formula that no one was expecting originality really at all from this movie to the point where in the first scene, the scene with Poe, when he's dragged before Kylo, I literally, there was a, there was a, little break in the dialogue and i said and here's our first joke one two three go and he and who speaks first joke. you speak first i speak first yeah yeah it was literally like the timing was exactly i was like that like his rhythms were exactly on the like han rhythms yes exactly no i know and that's that's um and you're right about that even even uh going back to iconography the first shot uh of the of the film is uh, a giant Star Destroyer eclipsing a planet, you know, the way uh, you see this giant opposing Star Destroyer in A New Hope uh, chasing a small Corellian Corvette. Uh, it's just, you know, a really like intense spaceship battle of one group completely overwhelmed, just like you see the First Order completely overwhelming this planet. I mean, the imagery is obvious, and you're right, it is formulaic to the point where it's like, come on, no. You can't say, like, I, I don't think you can say... Um, you know, there shouldn't be any originality with it because, like, the problem I have with The Force Awakens is the same problem I had with uh, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Hmm. Uh, did you see? Did you see Into Darkness? I did. Did you see The Wrath of Khan? No. Okay, so uh, Into Darkness was, I thought, a pretty bad movie because it relied on fan service and nostalgia from the wrath of Khan so much. And it's, it's a very JJ Abrams thing. He's kind of like custodial in that sense where he's like, okay, the franchise is in bad shape. Let me come in and pour fan service all over it and, uh, see what comes out. And I thought, um, like I thought wrath of Khan, uh, or like I thought, I thought into darkness did, um, was a fun movie, but 
it was ultimately something we've already seen before. Even shot for shot, there was there was like a lot of parallels um, between what was happening in those two movies. And same thing with The Force Awakens. And in fact, my, my biggest issue is um, when franchises start to reference themselves. And um, uh, like I don't mind that the original Star Wars were references to uh, westerns or you know like the movie Metropolis. Um, and, and things like that, because it, you're right, it did do something original by bringing them all together in this creative setting. And um, a lot of movies nowadays are relying so much on weekend on nostalgia uh, that it's diminishing the franchise. That's what happened to Star Trek. And honestly, even things like uh, Django Unchained, that's why I don't really like Quentin Tarantino movies that much anymore, because he's he's um referencing himself you know there's a scene in django unchained where uh um uh jamie fox's character django he's he's like everybody can uh leave except for you x character and that was a direct quote from uma thurman's character in the kill bill and like even like shot for shot it's people aren't doing original things you know and it that's what kind of bothered me a lot about the force awakens and those other two movies you know yeah, well, he's not. It's interesting because he's not an original director. It's almost to the point where you hire J.J. Abrams specifically for franchise work and fan service and that sort of thing. Like, he's never made. I guess his only standalone film is Super 8, and it's a tribute film. And, like,. Every, everything else, he's jumped into franchises that have been around for minimum two movies already. Because his his lowest number is the threequel to Mission Impossible. Yeah. But it's so funny because he comes from this world of television where his work was wholly original. That was the whole, like, Alias was Lost awesome. Alias, yeah. Well, he... All right. He, yes, he wrote the pilot of Lost, but we don't give... Uh, Jennifer Abrams credit for Lost. Okay, that was fair. Damon Lindelof. Um, right. Because J.J. Abrams then became one of those producers who puts his name on everything that helps it get made and then gets money for it forever, but it's not his work. Which drives me crazy. But like even Felicity, which was his first show, like every, he was an original ideas man. And when he made the jump over to film, he's doing that weird thing where he grew up on franchises and so he's just continuing them the way that Ronald D. Moore like worked on Star Trek after having like had his life shaped by Star Trek. Yeah. Like, uh, he He's just self-conscious, I think. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like, well, it's like if you were to go and write, well, Star Wars or like, like the new Power Rangers movie was God, written no. by, right? Like, you don't know. I wouldn't do that. I hate like, and, you know, Power Rangers is good when you're a kid, but... Well, no, but that's exactly what it is. It's like if he had decided... It's like if you had decided to go write the new Power Rangers movie. That's what he That's what he did. He's, he's just revisiting all of the franchises he loved as a fan. So, like, I think when he... Like, he was as excited about the Millennium Falcon being found in the trash heap as all of the crazy fans who started weeping. Yeah, that's true. No, that's definitely true. Um, and that's but, why there's so much fan service because he's he's just showing he's doing what he wants to do. I know, and and I think it's a good thing to have him direct this this one movie. But I'm glad he's not doing all three. 
and I'm glad they're going to vary directors, definitely. Um, well, it's, Ryan, it's Ryan, Ryan Johnson, right? I'm excited about that, because he did Looper, and he did uh, that Breaking Bad episode, Ozymandias, I think. Did he uh, do Ozymandias? That's like the most beloved episode of that show. I think he did. That's what somebody told me. I haven't seen that episode, but uh, somebody, like, we were talking about that, and he's like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to eat nine, um, not so much. Who, who's directing nine again? I, I thought Ryan Johnson was doing both. Oh, not, maybe. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know. Um, I'm um, going to IMDb that right now, so talk about something else. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't know, but um, just the whole problem, like, what this franchise is becoming in general is, you're right, it's another Avengers, it's another Marvel franchise uh, where you're going to get a new movie every year, pretty much. Um, and it's going to kind of saturate itself, um, just and it's it's already obnoxious. It's already just really obnoxious. It's already everywhere, and it's not going to go away. You know, at least with James Bond, it has the courtesy to show up once every three or four years and be like, "Oh, there's another James Bond," and then it goes away, and you forget about it for a while, and then and that's how it builds like you know an established fan base. This is just going to be uh, just this gauntlet of Star Wars movie after movie after spinoff. Um, I like that they're doing. Rogue One, I think that's an interesting idea, um, especially because there's no Jedi in it. I don't like that they're doing um, a Han Solo movie, which I believe they've announced. Um, and I think I think that's a terrible. I just think it's a terrible idea because it's more um, relying on uh, nostalgia, you know. And well, also, that's not going to work because they're grossly underestimating how much of Han Solo was Harrison Ford because yeah. it's it's a prequel and obviously Harrison Ford's never doing another Star Wars movie either Got way. Him. But specifically it's a it's they're gonna cast a young and they're gonna go out and find the next Harrison Ford and they're not going to succeed. Yes they did a great job finding their unknowns for this film, but and there are only two of them, but the they're just not going to find Harrison Ford level crazy charisma because I'm sorry, but the magic of Han Solo, the magic of nothing lies in the Star Trek script or Star Wars script. Like there's nothing special about the script. It's about the twinkle in his eye and his chemistry with everyone. And it it exactly. No, you're totally right about that. And I like, they they said they're going to make that movie. And I'm like, Oh, please don't because you know, they're going to crowbar weird, more like more weird stuff into his backstory. And this is, like, this is how the expanded universe got bad, or we're going to watch it happen again, just with this new version of the expanded universe, you know? By the way, if you don't know, the expanded universe is just the general term for um, stuff that ho- happened outside of the originals back before it was declared non-canon by, by J.J. Abrams. Um, by the way, I looked it up, and the this is actually the worst news I've ever read. So the, the Star Wars Episode Eight is being written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Star Wars 9 is written by Ryan Johnson, so that's good. But, unfortunately for everyone involved, it's being directed by Colin Trevorrow. And Colin Trevorrow, if you don't know... Now, he did make Safety Not Guaranteed, which is a wonderful film. So, there you go. That said, he made Jurassic World. 
I saw. I knew it. I knew it. I knew. I heard that. I knew it was something. I saw 140 films in 2015, and I ranked them all. And Jurassic World is number 140. It is the worst film I've ever seen. Like I couldn't handle how bad that film was. It was bad. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's really not promising news. No, exactly. I mean, and you know. Like at least Return of the Jedi was I think Return of the Jedi was a good movie and if they're gonna have this parallel to it, like Do you so so just, so ugh. my understanding is that a lot of people when they there there's obviously the over overriding idea that the originals are great and the prequels are terrible. But I've heard a lot of people when they went back to watch them all sort of discovered that Jedi is so much worse than they remember. <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, that's true, um, but the thing is, I don't think it's just Jedi, okay, so the, the problem with Jedi is that, um, it's kind of a really disjointed movie, the first half of it, okay, so, okay, Empire and A New Hope are both three-act movies, uh, Return of the Jedi, it's kind of a mishmash, it's kind of like two, uh, two acts where the first act is pretty much all on Tatooine, getting the gang back together, blowing up Jabba's palace, and then riding to the sunset, and then, the second half, which is the good half, is just payoff. And um, I personally, like, your opinion on Return of the Jedi really falls down to, like, you know, how much does the Battle of Endor make up for the first half? And um, uh, I personally loved it. I think it was, you know, in terms of, like, what Star Wars is and what Star Wars should be, I think Return of the Jedi is, like, the best hour, possibly, uh, of the original trilogy. You know, there's there's definitely, like, Empire is definitely a stronger movie overall, but, uh, like, the good parts are, like, consistent all the way throughout. Return of the Jedi is simply payoff, especially for Luke's character. Um, Han and Leia, they had some issues, didn't really have much to do on Endor. Lando should have died with the Falcon in that movie, I still think. Um, but, um, yeah, Return of the Jedi, it's kind of, like, it's still good. I still like it quite a bit, um, but it's kind of, like, you know... Yeah, you take it with the rest and you go with it. I I've always liked it. Um, that being said, uh, one thing Episode Seven did do is uh, made me appreciate the prequels in ways that I haven't, and um, you know made me take off the rose tinted goggles of the originals because it um, uh, the A New Hope storyline. You're right; it's not original, and it wasn't really original back then. It's just a hero's journey. Um, at least the prequels. I thought they, you know, they failed, but they at least tried to do something different, you know, and uh, a lot of the hate they get um, is definitely warranted, but there's actually one thing in particular, which I've always, I never had a problem with, but everybody else uh, did in the prequels, and that one thing is midichlorians. Uh, so do you know what midichlorians are? Absolutely not. Okay, so um, it's 1999, and The Phantom Menace comes out, and... Uh, Everybody hates it. it. You're like an hour and a half in, and there was it's it's a train wreck of a movie. Uh, there's Jar Jar. There's a kid, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, what am I watching?" Um, and it was just really disjointed. And you know, the reaction is everybody's like, "This is the worst movie ever." Oh my god, what happened to my childhood? Um, and then they introduce uh, something called midichlorians, and midichlorians are. Um, I guess it's like this kind of like biological like substance or like it's like this um, 
this like apparatus or something like in your cells or something that determines how well you can use the force. Now, um, I didn't hate that. A lot of people hated that because it kind of destroyed the, uh, the luster and the mystique of what the force was. The force was supposed to be God. It was supposed to be mysterious. And if you can quantify it, if you can say his midichlorian count is off the charts, that means, um, that means, you know, suddenly that, that godlike feeling of what the force actually is, is diminished. And it, everyone's like, it ruins the originals because now it's all biology and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I don't think it really ruined the originals at all. I think that was kind of a, I think it's almost like a creationist style argument when people say that, uh, because what the whole midichlorian perspective did, uh, was one, it challenged Star Wars nerds based on, you know, what their pre- preconception of the force was. And, uh, yeah, maybe changed it a little bit, but good. That's a bold move. Um, and, also, it doesn't really take away any of the mystique of it because then you can just ask, well, what are midichlorians? Where do they come from? And you can keep going down. And that's, uh, you know, it's a scientific process. And what it really did was it presented the Jedi Order as um, scholars and, um, you know, academicians as opposed to just uh, politicians and like paladins which is what I really hated about the Jedi Order was when they were constantly involved in politics in the prequels um, it presented them as uh, you know something like people that actually study this and make it a way of life so I actually kind of liked uh, the whole midichlorian idea and it, I actually really liked that people got upset about it because it meant George Lucas was actually challenging his fan base good for him J.J. Uh, Abrams didn't do anything near that egregious or bold in this movie Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a very safe um, writer-director. He does not... He, I like this idea of challenging the fan base. That is not something most, most people do. Um, and it's something specifically that J.J. Abrams doesn't do. Exactly. Um, but it's, it's interesting... But, but that's not necessarily true. Because uh, Star Trek, the original Star Trek, um, the, the, the reboot that he made in 2009... I thought that challenged it quite a bit because it presented this alternate universe timeline and, you know, he got Leonard Nimoy to sign off on it too. Um, and, um, you know, it said, okay, what happened? That's what happened in this other universe. This is this universe that I'm building. You have to go with it now. And I thought that was pretty challenging to Trekkers. You know? Well, that was also very interesting because he has been very open about the fact that he is not a Trek fan. He is a Star Wars fan. And to he, the, yeah, he directed those point, movies like Star Trek, Star Wars. Yeah, movies. that's what, what real Star Trek fans have a problem with, with the J.J. Abrams movies, is that they are essentially Star Wars movies. Star Trek is all about the intelligence and reason and uh uh, politics and things like that and star wars is action adventure and the jj abrams star trek movies are mostly action adventure films and they're clearly made by a star wars fan almost building his resume until eventually he gets to make star wars exactly no it's totally true um but here's the thing um all of these star trek movie all the star trek movies for the most part, they were pretty bad because they were all trying to be action movies. Um, and I thought 
the original Star Trek kind of bridged, or not the, the reboot of Star Trek kind of bridged the gap that actually, because it actually made a decent movie and it didn't completely abandon um, character development and uh, actual interesting plot line. It wasn't as good as some of like the other Star Trek movies, like uh, the originals, like Wrath of Khan. It wasn't as good as Search for Spock, I don't think. Um, although I'd have to watch Search for Spock again, but it was better than it was better than all of the next gen ones because. Like, if you ever see the next-gen movies, um, those are just, like, a cast that's not meant for action doing action movies. And it's ter- they're terrible. Every one of them, without fail, is just a train wreck. Um, what, Patrick and, Stewart's not a great action star? Yeah, right? No, exactly. Uh, Brent Spiner, who knew? Yeah. Uh, Brent, Sp- Brent Spiner played Data, you know? So oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to, like... You don't, you know, and Star Trek, and it's a flaw of Star Trek, really. Like, they've always had bad action. Um, like, every, even, like, the original trilogy that. had, you know, Kirk karate-chopping, like, monsters in, like, 1967. <laughs> and that was bad. It was cheesy. And I think Star Trek was, or J.J. Abrams' Star Trek was the first film to actually get that right. That, like, yes, we're going to have action elements. We're going to have a lot of it because we're going to make it fun. But... Uh, we're also going to challenge our fan base in... Uh, that's what I thought. So that's why I really liked that movie. Well, and I mean, the thing about that movie for me was that, again, there... I just don't care about any of these franchises. Actually, I'm pretty sure Star Trek, the, the reboot, was the first Star Trek thing I ever saw. I don't even think I've seen an episode of the original. Obviously, all the sort of classic ideas and classic images from Star Trek, same thing with Star Wars, have sort of made their way into my brain through general pop culture osmosis. But I just, I don't think I'd seen a single episode or single film from the entire world of that. And so sort of like The Force Awakens, I was able to watch that standalone Star Trek movie as a standalone movie. And, and I enjoyed it. I didn't care whether it was too Star Warsian or whatever, because it was an enjoyable standalone movie. But then again, there isn't a franchise in the world that I'm invested enough in that if you mess with it in this in the way that you can really piss off the fanboys. Like maybe the Mighty Ducks. This is like, (laughs) you know, like they're just, I don't have, I don't have really franchises that way. All my favorite movies are these, you know, single entity things, except of course the Mighty Ducks. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) um, Was it Emilio Estevez? uh, Yeah. Is that the Mighty Ducks? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, well, he was in the coach Bombay, but he was not, I mean, he was not the highlight, if you will. But Who was the highlight? The highlight? Um, okay, so it depends. This is totally off topic, but it depends which which version of me is watching the films. So young me, <laughs> obviously, was all about Josh Jackson and Charlie. Because oh, you, have, you have to be, because he's the lead character, and he's Josh Jackson. Um, as, as a grown-up, because I watch them every year... Um, <laughs> I go back and I'm all about Banksy. I think he has the more um, compelling story arc. So he's played by Vincent LaRusso, who disappeared after playing Banksy. Okay. Not in like a literal crime way, but in like a just isn't famous anymore way. (laughs) Anyway, not talking about the Mighty Ducks. Um, Do you have any other thoughts about The Forest Awakens that you want to talk about? Um, 
overall, I mean, I think I was fairly critical of it, but I really did like the movie. Um, oh, and, I know who I wanted oh, to ask you about. I wanted oh, to ask what? you about Donald Gleason's character. I don't know his name. Um, uh, General Hux? Is the, the redhead? Redhead guy, yeah. Yeah, because Killer. the entire cast of Ex Machina is in this movie. Yes. Which, which yes. almost by proxy, I, I kept watching them and being like, I feel like this movie is made better by its subconscious connection with Ex Machina by having both Donald Gleason and yeah, Oscar Isaac in the film. Yeah. Now you cut out there for a sec. Oh, yeah, by sec. having both Donald Gleason and Oscar Isaac in the film is what I said. Hello. Oh no, did we lose you? Hey, can you hear me? Yes, hi. Sorry, you're back. Um, so t- tell me about Donald Gleason's character and what the hell is up with him because he is really annoying. Okay, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hate him. Um, a lot of people say he's miscast. Uh, I, I don't think um, you know he's been given enough screen time uh, personally. But what what he was was a stand-in for somebody named uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. And Grand Moff Tarkin was the real villain of um, uh, A New Hope. Um, it wasn't it wasn't Vader like everybody attributes it to. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin was a guy who interrogated Leia, interrogated Leia, blew up Alderaan, all that fun stuff. And um, he's essentially like the evil old white man character. He's played by uh, Peter Peter Cushing's before he died. And um, what they needed was a foil uh, for that. So they they need or not a foil uh, a stand in for that that's a, a tribute to that and so General Hux pretty much played that character and one thing they did was definitely keep him alive because um, him and Kylo Ren have always had or, or have a fairly interesting relationship interesting dynamic where you know he's he cares about the first uh, the first order whereas Kylo Ren cares more about his own weird sick vengeance on his dad and everything in the world because he's an emo teenager um but i'm really curious to see uh where that goes because um the whole uh, like darth vader's character arc um or character in general uh is uh completely dependent on the fact that he's a tool to other other masters, other leaders. That's Anakin Skywalker's entire like character arc for his entire life. He's always a slave, um, whether it's the Jedi Council or the Emperor Palpatine or Grand Moff Tarkin. And um, having Hux there, kind to keep to keep Kylo Ren in check, was uh, you know again more fan service, but a really interesting uh, parallel for those characters. So I actually liked uh, Hux, and I want to see. I'm glad they kept him alive. Um, one of the things uh, that's going to be tough, though, is um, making Kylo Ren uh, a formidable and scary character uh, after, one, he got his ass kicked in the previous film, in, in Episode 7, and uh, two, he still has all these people to keep him, and he's not in charge. And so, um, to draw another conclu- uh, parallel to Anakin, in A New Hope, Anakin... Um, or Darth Vader is pretty much kept in line by, by Tarkin. He's really not that scary because, you know, everybody's telling him what to do. You know, there's a whole, there's that whole scene where, uh, you know, quit your sorceress ways, Lord Vader. I forget the exact line, but, uh, people call him out on shit because it's like, okay, get, this guy's too much in empire though. He's his most threatening because he really doesn't have anybody to keep him alive. He's playing the general in that role, and he's strangling people left and right, um, and everybody's scared of him, and the audience 
connects with that. And that's why everybody loves Empire, because the villain is actually a terrifying villain. And um, in Return of the Jedi, uh, he's pretty much the Emperor's pet puppet again. And, um, you know, uh, I'm curious as to see where the dynamic with him and Hux go throughout this trilogy. So I liked him, actually. Yeah, I'm actually hoping that Snoke turns out to be a powerful enough villain to sort of satisfy that big bad requirement that this sort of black and white world seems to have. Um, Because what I'm really hoping for Kylo Ren, because I think you're right with this idea that he's just not going to have the um, villain gravitas moving forward now that he's been cut down. So I think when you combine what I'm hoping they do with him in response to that, and then the world that they brought Finn from, this idea that he was on the wrong side, he was raised as a quote-unquote villain, I guess, and is, you know, finds his moral conscience. But in doing so, he he betrays his side. And he had we have that one stormtrooper who calls him a traitor and all this kind of stuff. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that those two things, the idea that Finn comes from darkness and the idea that Kylo is, is not an all-powerful, terrifying monster. He's a human. And, and he, we, he took off his mask and, and was not all mangled in makeup and CGI and stuff. That's just Adam Driver. And so we got to see him as a human being multiple times throughout the film. I'm hoping that what they're doing with him is an actual interesting, ambiguous arc. Um, yeah. Because they can't, you're right, they can't pull off big villainy with him anymore. It's not going to be convincing. So I'm hoping you, when you put those two features together, what we're going to get in this new trilogy is something even a little bit approaching gray area. Because something that does annoy me about Star Wars is this idea of there's the light side and the dark side, and those are your only choices, and they're labeled. Like, I just feel like that has nothing to do with the human experience. And I like the ambiguity. And and the good science fiction that can exist in the Star Wars universe explores the difference between, like, explores the gray line between those two. And uh, the bad ones, which is most of it, doesn't. And that's, you know, that's where we're going to see this go. Um, I, I do think, I do think Kylo Ren's going to be the villain we want. You know, he's going to be the villain that's, like, got a good side, you know? And, yeah, we watched him kill off the most beloved character in the series who definitely needed to die, and we definitely needed to see that happen, which was the one thing. I'm like, okay, good, they did that really right. Um, so... I don't know. I, I, I think um, I liked Kylo Ren so far. And yeah, I think he's going to turn into something really interesting. And it's good that we get to see him so emotional. So is there any more information from the prequels that I need to have going forward that I missed having uh, not seen? Sorry, them? you just cut out there. Can you say that again? Oh, I said, is there any more information from the prequels and even from just the redone originals that I haven't seen in 20 years that I'm going to need going forward into this universe? Because the first Force Awakens was not a challenging film in terms of mythology. Um, honestly, okay, so... You cut out there, but I think the question is, is there any more information from the prequels or originals that you need going forward? Yeah. Uh, not really. Honestly, you you could have started with seven and not seen any of them. That's the point. You know, the point is my, my five-year-old niece can come and see this and she'll be indoctrinated and running around her kindergarten uh, just like I was, you know? <laughs> All right. 
Do you have okay. any wrapping up thoughts? Um, yeah, overall, uh, I was very happy with the film, uh, but there was a lot that um, I felt was just kind of uh, cowardice, and, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't really bold. It was I got I got um, more Star Trek Into Darkness than uh, the uh, Star Trek original uh, reboot, and that was a little bit disappointing. But overall, um, I'm I'm looking forward to Rogue One and Episode Eight. So. Hopefully, uh, hopefully those deliver. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Andrew. It was really fun to talk to an expert on Star Wars. <laughs> not and, an expert, but yeah. Well, not an insider expert, but like a super nerd uh, yeah. expert. <laughs> I grew up. I got made fun of for it, and so I, I suffered through it so I could do this podcast. That's right. Oh, I always wonder, the people who made fun of people for liking Star Wars and things like that, what are they doing now with overwhelming geek culture that they are clearly participating in, right? Like, there's no way those people didn't see Star Wars when it came out. Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot that probably don't care. Um, honestly, it, it's like, you know, you and I, like, we exist in a group of friends where we all grew up with Harry Potter. We've all seen Harry Potter. But there's a huge portion of our generation that does not care at all about that. Really? I've, I've met maybe one person in our generation who hasn't met, who hasn't read or seen Harry Potter. Yeah, I, well, I've met, I've met several. I've met a lot. And, um, a lot of it is just, you know, not everybody's a nerd. Not everybody's a geek. No, and, it, uh, this movie made so much money. Nobody didn't see this movie. That's okay. That's true. This, this one in particular, um, but that wasn't the case in, you know, 1995 or 1996 when, um, you know, nerd culture, like what it was is, is uh, pre the X-Men movie. That first X-Men movie um, oh, yeah. uh, is where people realized nerd culture can make insane amounts of money and it became mainstream after that slowly. But yeah, like. But even the um, original Star Wars made a ton of money. But. The original Star Wars was, um, oh, sorry, you cut out there. I just said the original Star Wars made a ton of money. Yeah, the original Star Wars did, um, but really, uh, then nerds took it and ran with it. So everybody saw Star Wars, but most people went back to their lives because, whatever, because <laughs> it's a movie. Uh, and then nerds took it and Star Wars became a nerdy thing in the 90s and 2000s. And now, we're watching that rebound, I guess, where it's going to be everywhere again for a while and it's going to be mainstream. It's going to be like the Avengers comic books weren't cool until the Avengers movie came out, you know, until those movies like X-Men started coming out and making a ton of money. I'm just saying that clearly with force awakens is currently at, um, 1,733,400. Jesus. Yeah. For, no, yeah, one billion seven hundred thirty-three million four hundred eleven thousand forty-three dollars. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, that's. Uh, it's yeah. it is currently, and it's still in theaters and still going very strong. Currently, number three in the world in history of films, um, after only Avatar and Titanic. Uh, what about adjusted for inflation? Adjust, this is actually interesting. Adjusted for inflation. It's gone with the wind, right? Gone with the wind is unbeatable. However, third place. It, it, so it, the new Star Wars, I don't think anyone's adjusted the current numbers for inflation yet, but the new Star Wars isn't on the list for ones adjusted by inflation. 
but the the number three ranked movie of all time in terms of adjusted for inflation growth is the original Star Wars. Really? Yeah. Which made two billion eight hundred and twenty five million dollars in nineteen seventy seven. In in that's Jeez. that's in two thousand fourteen dollars. Yeah, that's that's insane. Yeah, all right. Yeah, which I is think, about half a billion less than this some, can top it. I don't know if it, this can top it, but this is still in the theaters, and it is about four million dollars away from overtaking Titanic. Yeah, and that's that Titanic. Would, it's Titanic. It's literally Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right. Well. I, 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 it doesn't surprise me, but you know, it's hopefully it's a good thing. It's an interesting phenomenon that it all, is. all the, the, the people who got made fun of for loving things, the things they love are now the most, the mainstream, most mainstream things in the whole world. I mean, that's actually a, a Deadpool good thing. movie. It's crazy. <laughs> they made an yeah. Ant-Man movie. Um, Doctor Strange is coming. It's weird. Anyway, all right. Uh, thanks so much, Andrew. And everyone, tune in soon. I don't know when we'll have the next episode for you, but when something strikes my fancy and we want to do a long form with another guest, I'll be back. And in the meantime, be sure to check out the site at myentertainmentworld.ca. Thanks a lot. Bye.